Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. All right, so we are starting. Yes, we're taking three more slides in the book of Hebrews today. Uh, Last week we did the introduction and verses one through three. So we do have three more today. I promise it will pick up after this point, but there's just so much depth in the opening of the book. And we had to set some groundwork for the background of Today, there's a big background about angels because the book builds off of these three pillars of Judaism on how Jesus is superior to all three of them. And the first one that starts is angels. So I think this will be really exciting. You all will love this. Uh, We're going to dive in and Ryan, if you could go to the next slide real quick. Um, And as we get started, I've just got a couple of slides here from last week on the introduction, but... I just want to remind everyone about 1 John 2.27, and we talk about it all the time, but 28, specifically the last part of this verse. Because we, we, as we dive into this book, it's really important that we let the anointing of the Holy Spirit teach us everything in Hebrews. There's so many mysteries in it and so many things to unlock in this book. So let's read this verse real quick. I'm going to open us up in prayer to let the Holy Spirit petition him to teach us everything in this. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and need not that any man teach you. That means you don't need me up here teaching you. You don't need another pastor teaching you. You need the Holy Spirit, and that is it. And then everything that we say, you test against the word of God. You let the word of God filter it out and see, and go home and say, hey, was Matt right or wrong? And I'm just do that. It's a great practice. But as the same anointing teacheth you all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, that's the rapture, First Thessalonians 4, when he, Jesus, shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So how do you, how do you prepare yourself to not be ashamed when Jesus meets you in the air. How do you do that? Well, it's all about the word of God. So we're going to pray real quick and dive into these three verses. It's going to be good. Lord, we just thank you so much. God, I pray that you would teach us everything in this book. God, we need to walk in complete confidence in the days ahead right now in which we are living, that, Lord, we have you and only you leading us. Lord, don't let us get too far behind, and don't let us get out in front of you too far. God, let us stay lockstep with you as you open doors and close doors and you guide. Lord, just like in the promised land, when you went forward to conquer it in Joshua 5, you said that you needed to conquer it city by city, little by little, because if you did it all at once, it would sit barren and the enemy would fill the land again. So God, we want to follow you as you tear down these strongholds, as you fight for us in our lives, as you go forward to fight for our kids. And guys, you teach us everything this morning out of the book of Hebrews. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So 
everything that we do, how do we make sure that we are confident when he returns? Well, I touched on this briefly last week, but I don't know if it really made a lot of sense. I just want to touch on this real quick. In Numbers, when it talks about the burnt offering, so Numbers 29.6, when I was reading this, and it's, it's, you can find the burnt offering all over the Bible. But beside the burnt offering of the month and his meat offering and the daily burnt offering and his meat offering and their drink offering according to their manner, for the sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. And really what God was impressing on me out of the book of Hebrews is it is bringing sons to glory through sanctification. So you literally are the burnt offering because Jesus is our high priest from Hebrews 4. And his eyes, if you go to the next slide, Ryan, his eyes are a flame of fire. And so he's wanting to burn and sanctify you, burn off everything in your life that you're carrying that after you get saved, you don't need to carry anymore. So everything that you're harboring, anything you're trying to hold on to, let him with those eyes of fire burn them off of you as you draw closer to him. That's the goal. And there are, again, the book is built around these five warnings of not doing that, of not allowing Jesus to be not just Savior in your life, but Lord of your life. That's the goal. I remember Mason talked about that a lot in his testimony, just about how it was making Jesus Lord of his life that changed everything for him. And that's, that's the goal here through the book of Hebrews is to make the Lord, make Jesus the Lord of your life because he is jealous for your affection. And all of that is because of Ephesians 5.27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And that's the goal, is a church that is not wrinkled, not with spot, that is not ashamed when he brings us home. That's the goal. You want to be a church that is without wrinkle, as in you're not bending to the world. You're not bowing the knee to the world. And last time we looked at that layout of the tabernacle and that relationship piece. So go back and look at that if, you, if you'd forgotten about it. Okay, this whole book, though, the Lord builds his case that Christ is superior to all of Judaism, and the three main pillars are angels, Moses, and the Levitical priesthood. And today he tackles angels. So there's a lot of misconception in the body of Christ about what are angels, what are their roles, who are they, why were they created, what do they do today, are they active today, are they not active today. And so we're going to take off kind of into a deep dive about who are angels, where do they show up all throughout the Bible, why is Jesus superior to them, and are they still active today. But the whole book uses the Old Testament, the whole thing. It quotes everything from the Old Testament. And in Hebrews 10.7, it quotes Psalm 40, verse 7, that in the volume of the book, it is written of me, says Jesus. That's not David, that's Jesus. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. So God deviates some for those five warnings during the book. And the first one will hit, I think, in two weeks. It starts chapter 2. But Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith, without wavering. So holding fast, that's the point of the book. Okay, so we're in this outline. There's the outline from last week. I've highlighted where we are, chapter one and two, a God-man better than the angels. That's the point of these opening couple chapters in the book of Hebrews, and there's 13 total. 
So as a reminder, Hebrews 1, 1 through 1, 3, these were the three verses we covered last time. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, we talked a lot last time about how the authorship of the book is anonymous, but according to God's word, the Holy Spirit has written every scripture. So it's not really anonymous. The Holy Spirit wrote it. And my wife and I were talking, and she brought up the great point that even at the beginning, God spoke. So the whole book is God speaking. That's, that's the point really here and why the Lord left it anonymous. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, and that Greek word is time domains. So he didn't just make the worlds, he made the very time in which we exist in. In verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he himself purged our sins, and God has spoken. So remember in those first three verses, Jesus is the heir of all things. We are co-heirs with him in Romans 8, if you suffer with him. Jesus made the world or time domains. Jesus is the brightness of all God's glory. He's the image of the Father. He upholds all things by his power from Colossians 1.17. Remember, his word right now is holding every atom together in the universe. That's what modern physics has discovered. Jesus made purification of sin once and for all. He set down the majesty on high, and he's sitting there right now interceding on our behalf. That's all in the first three verses of the book of Hebrews, which is just incredible. Okay, in the rest of chapter 1 and 2, God is going to declare that Jesus is superior to the angels in three different ways. By his deity in chapter 1, by his humanity in the first part of chapter 2, and by his salvation in the back half of chapter 2. So three ways that Jesus is superior to the angels. So in verse 4, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So the whole book, remember this, throughout this book, inheritance is a key issue. And so even in verse four here, speaking of Jesus, by inheritance obtained. He's the heir of all things, and thus we are co-heirs with him. Again, he's the heir. In the Greek word, this phrase, he hath by inheritance obtained, it's all one word in the Greek. In the English, it's translated, he hath by inheritance obtained. And it literally means to be an heir, to inherit, to receive the portion assigned to one, receive an allotted portion, receive as one's own or as a possession, to become a partaker of. Now, that is an interesting part of the Greek because a partaker of, literally, when you go back to our study in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, it's to be an overcomer. Remember, all seven of the letters that Jesus penned in chapter 2 and 3 is written to the overcomer. That's us. If you overcome the world from 1 John 5, because Christ has, you are an overcomer. You are a partaker of Jesus' inheritance because he's the heir of all things. The word for inheritance is used throughout the Bible. And if you've never really studied this, when you are 
in tune with the fact that inheritance is gained and lost all over the Bible. A lot of it's tied to being the, the firstborn, so we're going to look at that in a little bit at the end. But look at Matthew 5.5. 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, again, I don't know about you all. I have not inherited the earth yet. And I don't think anyone sitting in this room has or anybody watching online has. In fact, it seems kind of like the reverse right now that somebody else has inherited the earth and the meek are just kind of flailing out there and being chased down and hunted and imprisoned for even studying the Bible in most of the world now. But it will happen. And that's the point. That was the, the beauty. Part of the beauty of studying Revelation is the fulfillment of Jesus's promise. The meek will inherit the earth. When the, when the rider on the white horse shows up in Revelation 19, and we're with him. So Matthew 25, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There is a kingdom prepared for you right now, but you're not in possession of it yet. And that's the He's driving this point all through the book of Hebrews that you've got to hold fast to your faith in Jesus to inherit what he's laid up for you because he is the inheritance, he is the heir of all things. So in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor, you get this whole list, you can think of a lot of people, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. There's a list of people that don't inherit, and there's a list of people that do. And this book is saying, hold fast so you fall on the side that does inherit with Jesus. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's the strong, the G2816. If you ever seen that in the notes, that's a letter designation like that. That's the link, the Strong's Concordance number to the Greek word or the Hebrew word. So that word inherit is G2816. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. So this is important. 1 Corinthians 15, 50, it's why you have to be born again. So remember in John 3, Jesus' discourse with Nicodemus, you must be born again. Why? Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't go in as a fallen, in a fallen body right now. You have to be born again. And you, when you get saved, you are born again in the spirit. And then you get your resurrected body at the rapture. In Revelation 21, 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. At the very end of the book, and there's that phrase again, he that overcometh. So this, this word here in uh, verse 4, being made, it's not like Jesus was made. That's not, don't read it that way. Jesus was not a created being. Jesus always has been and always will be. The Greek word, it really means to be preferred, to be fulfilled, or to be finished. So think of it as being preferred so much better than the angels. Okay, that's really how you should read that. As he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. 
He, Jesus was not made. He's the maker. He's the creator of all things. And the Bible has much to say about angels. So if you've never really studied angels, um, you're going to get a, a deep dive course here now. But their name literally means a messenger, an envoy, one who is sent, a messenger from God. Okay, that's what the word angel means. And God hits this head on because the Jews regarded angels as the most exalted creatures in God's program. Now, when you study the Old Testament, if you've ever read through it, and you've probably noticed a phrase called the angel of the Lord. See, a lot of times that is Jesus, and a lot of times it's an angel. And so there's this kind of this blurred line in the Old Testament, in the English, and even somewhat in the Hebrew, because the word is the same. And so that's why a lot of the Jews then kind of, they didn't miss it, but they held the angels in very high esteem, because in their writings, the angel of the Lord would do this or that. And, and they would attribute it to an angel and not to Jesus. And so they would miss it a lot. But I'm gonna, there's, we're going to look at a lot of examples and show you how you can differentiate between the two based on the response of the individual, what that angel commands, and what, what he doesn't command. So uh, I'll just give you a hint right up front. Anytime an angel, the angel of the Lord, shows up in the Old Testament, if he allows himself to be worshipped, that's Jesus. If he, if he says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground, that's Jesus. If he says, I am the I am, that's Jesus. And then there's a lot of angels, and you'll see some examples in Revelation where they say, no, 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 don't worship me. See that you don't do that. I'm a fellow servant like you. But it's that same word. So he, God is really hitting this hard. Angels are ministering spirits. They're messengers of God. They have job descriptions throughout the Bible. Michael, for example, is always fighting on behalf of Israel. So anytime you see Michael, one of the archangels, stand up, he's always going to war on behalf of God's people, Israel. And you see this reference to the tribulation period in Daniel 12, verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble. That's a quote from Jeremiah. The time of Jacob's trouble. See, again, that seven-year period, it's all about Israel's trouble, Jacob's trouble. It's not the church's trouble. Such as never was there since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And what God is saying, Michael is going to stand up and go to war during that seven-year tribulation period. And we looked at that in Revelation pretty hard. Gabriel, on the other hand, is always an announcer on something on behalf of the Messiah. So anytime you see Gabriel shows up, he's talking about an announcement or a prophecy about Jesus. And you see this especially in Luke 1. He shows up to uh, Elizabeth first about John. And the angel answered and said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. There's something that they do. They stand in the presence of God, the good angels at least. And am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. Then you go down to when Gabriel comes to Mary in verse 26. And it hath in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. I can imagine. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. That happens in the millennium when God gives him the throne of David. But there you have Gabriel speaking about Jesus. Angels were present and involved in the giving of the law to Moses. If you've never noticed this, this is pretty incredible. Psalm 68, 17, the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. Remember, that's where God rains down on Sinai and speaks to the children of Israel and Moses when, they, when he delivers them out of Egypt. And if you remember, they were so troubled by what they saw because it was fire and it was dark and gloomy and there was lightning everywhere. And God literally burnt the top of that mountain to a charred like piece of toast. He was just raining fire on it. And Moses, he's sitting there talking to all of them. And then they leave and they all go to Moses and say, hey, that was really, really scary. Could you, guys, could you just not let that ever happen again? Could you then go, Moses, you go talk to God and see what he says to say, and then come tell us. And at that point on, they totally blew it because they didn't want to hear directly from the Lord. They wanted somebody as a mediator going between them and God. And I've mentioned this before in here, but it's exactly what a lot of us as Christians do today by trying to pick up commentaries or other books instead of going directly to the one that wants to teach you and sit with you. And it's it's not to be feared, it's to be excited. And a lot of people are afraid because they're, a good friend of mine was afraid that God may call him to Africa, you know, sometime if he, if he did that and have to wear uh, khakis or something. But, <laughs> it's, but it's, uh, it's something to be joyful about. It's something to be excited about. So in Acts 7, 52 and 53, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before the coming of the just one. That's a title of Jesus. One thing you should do, the first time God had me read through the Bible cover to cover on my own, I made two lists. And the first list I made was every title of Jesus in the Bible. The second list I made was every title of us in the Bible that God calls us. So if you ever want to do something fun, do that. And as you, read, as you read through, you'll be shocked. There are, I think that if I remember right from my list, there's like 500 titles of Jesus in the Bible. And again, my favorite one is I am, because you get to fill in the blank. What do you need him to be? He is it. But he calls you a lot of special things in the word of God. He calls you his inheritance. So he's the heir of all things, and you are his inheritance. Because after all of this passes away, what goes from where we are today into the new heaven and the new earth? It's only you. You are God's inheritance that he pulls over to the other side. So anyway, just a side note, the just one, that's the title of Jesus. 
of whom ye have been, now the betrayers and murderers. That's a, that's a bold statement of what he's telling the Jews here. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Listen to that. He's telling them, you received it from angels. Now, that's an interesting comment because, indeed, God wrote in stone with his own finger to Moses. But somehow the angels were involved in giving this to the children of Israel. In Galatians 3.19, Wherefore then severeth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. It, it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Okay, there it is again, that reference. Deuteronomy 13, or I'm sorry, 33, 2. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Sur. Unto them he shineth forth from Mount Paran. And he came with ten thousands of saints from his right hand, went a fiery law for them. That word, it's really not ten thousands of saints. It's really, the Hebrew word is really holy ones. Ten thousands of his holy ones. When you look at, the last bullet there, the King James translates this word holy 262 times. And then there's some others, but it's the majority of it is holy. So 10,000s of his holy ones or angels he brought to Sinai. Okay, the Bible uses the exact phrase, the angel of the Lord, 64 times. And the Hebrew word for angel is malak, and it's often used in the Old Testament appearances of Jesus. This is why the Jews, again, missed it sometimes and thought angels were doing this when it was Jesus. And they missed some very key details. But it's often used as Jesus in the Old Testament. Look at Exodus 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. This is with Moses in the burning bush. In a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush and he looked and behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed this is what led Moses to walk up that hill because bush fires are not rare in the desert they're very dry there's lightning strikes but he's seeing this bush that's on fire and it's not going away it's just sitting there and that's a representation of Jesus because he could be consumed the fire that consumes sin he took upon himself, but he was not consumed. You see the point? So he, it, it attracted Moses. And so he walks up there in this bush. I'm pretty sure was acacia wood. It was the same wood that he used to build the Ark of the Covenant. It's the same wood that he used as a helmet of thorns during the crucifixion. So you can follow acacia wood all through the Bible and find some really interesting points out of it. But look at verses 5 and 6. And he said, Draw out nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Watch for that phrase all through the Bible. Jesus in Joshua 5 tells Joshua, Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And you don't know it's Jesus until he says that. But that's the hint. That's the point. I had a, a friend share a vision with me that he was in a field and there was this this man walking toward him and he in his dream was barefoot and so I immediately told him well that's Jesus then because your shoes were off and when you hear the rest of the vision that he had 
it sure enough, it was Jesus. And he had eyes as a flame of fire and this glowing emerald green. And he looked at him in the eye and just, he took him right away and was gone. But it's a really cool vision. But you even see that in what people get today. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Just to clarify in case you missed it before. It's, it's Jesus. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. In verse 14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. So remember, Moses says, who do I tell them that sent me? And he says, tell them I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And look at John 8. This is why they wanted to stone him. When you go to John 8, Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, if you read the whole chapter, read the, go today, go read all of John 8 and just listen to the discourse between Jesus and the Pharisees because they're calling Jesus a bastard because they don't know who his father is. And he's telling them, you are of your father, the devil. And what he tells them is, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. See, he's linking his name to the voice of the burning bush. And that's why they took up stones to cast at him because he was, they viewed it as blasphemy. This guy's claiming to be God. And they took up stones to throw at him, but he hid himself and went out of the temple because it wasn't his time yet. So Jesus announces the birth of Samson. Look at this in Judges 13. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman. Isn't it interesting how all throughout the Bible, barren women have a, some kind of radical part in God's program? It's almost like he, he enjoys the challenge of showing you who's the giver of life. You know, it's not you, it's me. And I'm going to put this child in your womb. And Manoah, his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord, there's that phrase again, the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, behold now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. It's amazing that Jesus is pronouncing the very thing that an angel pronounced about him to Samson's parents. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. A quick side note. Why did Samson lose his strength when he cut his hair? You know, when you think about that, what did the hair have to do with it? The hair represented his commitment to God. It wasn't that his hair gave him the strength. He was letting his hair grow because it was a commitment he made to him. So he sacrificed his commitment to the Lord, and thus the Lord abandoned him. And you don't, there's lots of different ways of, of the wrath of God in the Bible. One of them, when you read the story of Samson, that you don't want to be a part of is <laughs> it's that Samson thought the Lord was with him and he was not because he, he sacrificed his commitment, but it's called the abandonment wrath where God just says, fine, you don't want anything to do with me. I'll just turn around for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Okay. Verse uh, six, 
Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb unto the day of his death. Ryan, can you go to the next slide? In verse 8, Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God, who, who you did see, come again unto us and teach us what he sh- we shall do unto the child that shall be born. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband, and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that spakest unto the woman? And look what he said. He said, I am. There's that title of Jesus again. It's a play, the Holy Spirit's using a play on words here. And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child and how shall we do unto him? And the angel of the Lord said unto Moa, Of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. She may not eat of anything that cometh out of wine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, I'm sorry, the vine, nor eat any unclean thing. And all that I commanded her, let her observe. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee unto here. We shall have made ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. If thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name, that when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why ask thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? Now that's a link to the book of Isaiah where it it foretells that Jesus' name is secret. So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass that when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell to their faces on the ground. See, this angel of the Lord allowed himself to be worshipped because he accepted the sacrifice and went up to heaven. Jesus shows, us with, shows up with two angels to announce Isaac to Abraham and sent them to rescue Lot and his family. In Genesis 18, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat there in the tent of the door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. Now, the other key to understand is angels, a lot of times, all throughout the Bible, always show up as men. They, always, they never take on the female form for some reason. It probably has a lot to do with why they attacked women all the way back in Genesis. But he looked up his eyes, and behold, lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself to the Lord and said, My Lord, if now I found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. So remember, he makes a meal for the Lord, and the two angels go into Sodom and Gomorrah 
to get Lot and his family out, and they end up blinding the inhabitants. Remember that? When they're trying to bust down Lot's door, and the angels blind them, and then walk out with Lot and the family. Angels do wild stuff. They, they can manipulate space, matter, energy, and time at God's will, of course. But they have incredible powers. And we're going to see a few examples here in a minute of why you don't want to go to war with an angel without using the name of Jesus. I didn't include it in the notes. I should have. But in Jude, Michael fights Satan. He fights a fallen, the fallen cherub from Ezekiel 28, Satan, Lucifer himself, over the body of Moses. And we studied that a lot in the two witnesses in Revelation. But he didn't, Michael did not bring a railing accusation against Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you. That's, again, the weapon of your warfare, just like I kind of shared in that vision I had last Sunday. But the angels are created beings. They were present at the creation of heaven and earth from Job 38. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Now, this is interesting because Hebrews, the rest of chapter 1, God's going to make this point too. And we'll look at that next week, that Jesus as the creator laid the foundations of the earth. Declare if thou hast understanding, who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God, the Benihe Elohim in the Hebrew, shouted for joy. That's a phrase always in the Old Testament of angels. So when you see sons of God, look it up in the Hebrew. It's Benihe Elohim, the sons of God. It's always references angels. The beginning of Job in chapter 1, the Benihe Elohim came before God. Remember, and God points Job out to them. But the children of Israel battled against them in the promised land with Jesus's help, of course. But from Judges 5, the kings came and fought, then fought the kings of Canaan in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no gain of money. They fought from heaven. The stars in all their courses fought against Sisera. They battled, and stars in the Old Testament are often used of angels, stars a lot. In Psalms, it talks about how if you could count the stars of heaven, you could maybe number the angels. God makes that link. So there's, they fought angels, the children of Israel, in Judges, which is incredible. Okay, because a third of them follow Lucifer in his rebellion. So remember this from Revelation 12, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Remember, Revelation 12 is a high-level summary of the entire Bible, but it talks about how Satan rebelled, and his tail, the dragon's tail, and the Holy Spirit's using a pun there, because I view it as his T-A-L-E, his lie, his tail, drew a third of the angels with him. And so they rebelled with him. Heaven is the home of the angels from Matthew 24. But of the day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. They excel in strength in Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. The ones that followed Lucifer in the rebellion left their habitation in 2 Peter 2. And Jude 1, 6, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, 
but cast them down to hell. That word is actually uh, tartuero or tartarus in the Greek. It's the Greeks viewed that part of hell as far below earth as the earth is below heaven. It was that deep and reserved for the most offensive creatures in God's program, which were the angels that rebelled against him, and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. In Jude 1.6, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. So angels appear as men throughout the Bible. Remember Genesis 6 is a prime example. Genesis 18 Remember, Abraham sees the three men in front of him, and the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And I love that whole discourse between Abraham and the Lord because he does the whole thing. Would, well, would you spare it if there was you know, 10,000? What about 5,000? What about, what about 1,000? What about 100? Abraham had some guts to stand before Jesus and say, you know, kind of like, what are you doing, Lord? Why are you destroying this place? What if there's somebody righteous there? As if the Lord wouldn't know. But I love that a prerequisite that the angels tell Lot is we can't destroy this place until we get you out of here. It's a pattern that is set up all through the Bible of God's wrath is, is reserved until his people are removed. It's a pattern you see all throughout. Remember Noah's flood, there were three groups of people. Enoch was raptured before in Genesis 5. Noah and his family were preserved through the flood, and then there were all the people that died in the flood. Same three groups of people during the tribulation. Those removed prior to that are a part of the church, those preserved during it that are of the Jewish people, and then those that perish in it that don't accept the Lord. You can entertain an angel and never even be aware from Hebrews 13, 2, be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, that's a, that's a crazy verse if you really think about it. You know, how many times do you get approached by someone asking for money or on a street from somebody that's, that apparently is homeless and they need something? You may be talking to an angel. I'm not saying they all are. Don't misunderstand. But there's some instances I can remember in my life when we lived in Kansas City on the plaza, that there were some people that I talked to that came up to me looking for money, and I would just start sharing the Bible with them, and they would engage, and you leave, all of a sudden, they're just gone. You're like, was that an angel? Who was that? But a couple examples I, I just wanted to mention. Angels are very active today. I think a lot of you probably saw on the news Back in late January, A.J. Ferrari, that the wrestler from Oklahoma State, was in a horrible car wreck on those back highways between Guthrie and Stillwater. And the offensive coordinator for the football team, Casey Dunn, just happened to be driving by when that wreck happened. And so he got out, and it was A.J. Ferrari and a, another guy that runs on the track team, Rodriguez. And Casey Dunn, he could not get them out of the car. And they were buckled in the front seat. They were knocked out cold. They couldn't get them out. The doors were jammed. The hood was on fire at this time. And there's the two guys in the front seat. Well, when you read the, the news reports, they give witness of this giant man just showing up all of a sudden. And they bust out the back window and pull the two guys from the, from the front seats out through the back by getting under their arms. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever tried to pick someone up out of a seat when they're just sitting there. Maybe we could try that after church. 
we just hang out. It's, it is not easy because your arms are fully extended. So you have that moment, that weight is out and you're leaning. You can't, you don't even have your foot on something to, to brace yourself. It's like physically impossible to pull someone out that way. But somehow this big guy and Casey Dunn pulled these two guys out. And right when they got out, the car exploded and the big guy was gone. Now, that's a crazy story. So was it an angel? I don't know. Uh, but you hear stories like that a lot. And Randy and I had an experience of, of we are absolutely convinced it was an angel. When, I, when we first got married before we had kids, I was out in Philadelphia for work. And we had this condo on the plaza and somebody broke into it when I was gone. And Randy was there by herself. And the way it was set up when you were in our master bedroom from the bed, you could see the hallway. So this guy broke in the back door and he walked right past our bedroom door down the hall and Randy heard it all, but she never heard him leave. And he took her purse, but the cops ended up finding it with nothing missing in the bush right outside the front door. And they could tell by the way the doors were that this guy left in a hurry. That he, for some reason, he left really quick. And we're still convinced to this day that that, those were angels chasing him out quickly. And just like I shared last week about what I saw on Saturday morning, angels, angels go to war for Jesus on our behalf all over the place. And I'm sure a lot of you probably have stories similar to any of those that you've experienced things in your life. So just praise him for it. Praise him that he's got these ministering spirits that are ministers to us. And they, it's amazing. I didn't put this in the notes either. But we learn in the New Testament, they look to us to learn about God because they don't experience, they weren't created as an image of God. They don't have that, that piece of them that is of God like you do. So in any case, the destroying angel in Exodus 12, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your house to smite you. That's the destroying angel. And you read about that in Psalms too. David talks about that. An angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night in 2 Kings 19. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city. So this is when Hezekiah is surrounded by the Assyrian army, and they're all camped out there. And remember, the prophet Isaiah is telling Hezekiah, don't worry about it. And one of my favorite parts of the Bible is when Hezekiah takes the letter from the Assyrian general and goes before the altar of God and says, God, I have no idea what to do with this. We are surrounded. We are encamped. They're trying to starve us out. Here's this letter. What do I do? And God says, don't worry about it. I've got this. You just lay it before the throne room of the universe. And I know I've given a lot of you in here that advice to write it out and go to the throne room and watch God answer because he wants to do that. There's a pattern set up in the Bible for that. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. The Lord's saying, hey, don't worry about it. He came down this road. He's about to turn around and go back up that road and shall not come again Come into this city, saith the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. That's 185,000 soldiers. 
And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. So was that Jesus or an angel? It doesn't, it's not really clear. I think it's pretty cool to think about if it was Jesus because he says, I will defend this city. And somehow he goes through the camp and kills 185,000. And when you see this in uh, warfare, a lot of times special forces groups would do that in ancient times. They would go in and they would kill like every other man so that when you woke up in the morning, you were just terrified and you didn't want to fight anymore because all those around you were dead. That's probably where they got that idea. They are God's ministers, though, in Psalm 104, who maketh his angels spirits, his minister is a flaming fire. They minister to the Lord in Daniel 7. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. This is Jesus. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued. That sounds like Sinai. Remember a fiery stream issued from his right hand? And came forth from before him, thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, an innumerable amount. They surround God's throne, if you remember from Revelation 4 and 5, the four faces of the cherubim, a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle, line up to the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they lay out a cross from Numbers, those same incense from Numbers 1 and 2. They go to, the, to war for the Lord on our behalf. We saw that just a minute ago. But if you remember Elisha and his servant, the Syrian army is surrounding them, and he's freaking out because there's just two of them, and God opens his eyes, and he sees chariots of fire surrounding the enemy's army. So that's pretty cool, chariots of fire. An angel stopped the mouth of the lion from Daniel 6. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouth. Remember, Daniel says that to the king of Persia. Angels freed God's people from prison. And Peter in Acts 12, but you see this all throughout Acts and beyond as people were imprisoned. Look at Acts 5. Then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words, words of this life. It's amazing. In some of those instances, too, you'll read where the guard, when they were set free, had his sword and he was ready to fall on his sword because if he let a prisoner escape, it was a death sentence to him. Remember, and Paul in one of those instances runs out and says, Whoa, whoa, whoa don't do it. We have, we're all here. Like the doors were opened, but we're all sitting here still because God just opened it, but he didn't tell us to leave and that he ends up getting saved. The angels have ranks from Ephesians 1 and 6, Daniel 10. Jesus created them for himself in Colossians 1, 16. Remember, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be, and there's those ranks again, thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created by him and for him. So they're created for him. The angels cannot separate you from Jesus in Romans 8. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Those angels cannot separate you from God, and there are their ranks. 
principalities, powers, thrones, dominions, and powers. Romans 8, Ephesians, and Colossians 1, they're all over the Bible. But those are all ranks of angels in God's program. Okay, so all of that is a backdrop on angels. And hopefully it made sense to you that you know, we have had such a truncated view of the supernatural, honestly, in the church for a long time. But these angels are active. They're active all over the Bible, and they're very active today on our behalf. And you're not to worship angels, but praise God when they step in on his behalf and do something radical, like pull a man from a, a burning car. It's incredible. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. See, God never said that to an angel, but he said it to Jesus. And that's the point the Lord is making. Because that, Jesus is superior to them. Because he's the son, this day have I begotten thee. It's a quote from Psalms 2, verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. From 2 Samuel 7, 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. And he talks about David, the sons of David, not Jesus, about uh, committing iniquity. But Matthew 3, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Remember that was at the baptism? Now, just an interesting story. We're just about finished. If anyone needs a snack, I've got ants on a log from uh, Amy Woolsey. Thank you, Amy, for the snack during the, the service. I don't know, the crunching of the celery might just really go over the top. But at the, at the baptism, if, you, if any of you remember the baptism we had back in August for the church, we, when Randy and I first moved here six years ago, six years and four months ago, but who's counting? Six years and four months ago, there were earthquakes everywhere. I don't know if, how many of you remember those around like Lake Arcadia. And I remember one night, they, they were happening over and over. And the Lord just woke me up in the night and said, Matt, it's because the land has not been redeemed. The land, the land there's a stronghold there that needs to be torn down still. And I need you to pray against it. And so I... I looked like a crazy person probably and went out into my front yard and got on my knees and prayed to God. And my prayer for weeks was that Jesus would step foot on that land and subdue it, subdue the shaking, and that he would redeem it for his name. Well, after some time, they stopped. For years, they were, they were totally shut down until three nights before the baptism last August. And there was a tremor. And I remember it was a Thursday night because we had Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, there was a small earthquake. And I remember Randy and I in our, in our house going, oh no, like they started again? And so I started praying against it again. Well, the next morning, the Lord told me so plainly, Matt, don't worry, that was me. I had to step down to meet you guys there. And I had to come meet you there because at the baptism for Jesus, all three members of the Trinity were present. The Father from heaven, looking on Jesus, and then remember the dove for the Holy Spirit was raining down on him, so all three. And he said, we had to all three be present at your baptism because you're bringing the Holy Spirit since you're the indwelling temple of God. Jesus had to step down from his throne down to earth to meet you in that water, and then I'm in heaven with the clouds open looking. 
And so all three were present. I just thought that was amazing. But in Matthew 3, that's what he's saying. A voice from heaven, this is the Father, beloved my son, my son, whom I am well pleased. In Matthew 17, at the transfiguration, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So the Father never said this to any angels, despite their might, and that's the point that God is driving home. Despite everything they did, he never said this. So verse 6, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. The first begotten. Psalm 97, 7, confounded be all they that serve graven images that boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all ye gods. He's telling the angels to worship Jesus in Psalm 97. That's that quote for the end of verse 6. And let all the angels of God worship him. The angels are commanded to worship him, that thus Christ is above the angels. The good angels recognize that Jesus should be worshipped, not them. And that's what we saw in Revelation 19, verse 10. Remember, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And this is what the angels said to John. See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant. See, one angel did allow himself to be worshipped, and he got in all kinds of trouble. That's Lucifer. He, he tries to get you to worship him. The good ones always recognize, no, worship belongs to the Lord. And that's the point. In this last uh, verse, the first begotten, this is the only place in the entire Bible that word is used, and it's, or firstborn. Think of it, about it kind of like that. It's throughout the Bible, though. The firstborn involved dignity, honor, position of excellency. However, the right of the firstborn could be forfeited. Remember Jacob and Esau? When Jacob sold his birthright to Esau for that little bowl of porridge? See, it wasn't that when you read that story, remember Jacob tells him, I've got nothing left for you. There's no place of repentance found for him. And Jacob was real upset. I'm sorry, Esau was real upset. Well, the whole point was that he, he, again, like Samson, blew his commitment to God. And, he, and he, didn't, he did not hold in esteem the right of the firstborn because you're supposed to get a double portion and you're going to inherit everything. That's the point. But So it could be forfeited. Reuben lost the right of the firstborn in Genesis 49. Remember when Jacob is, uh, is pr- uh, prophesying over his 12 sons? Reuben loses that right. Dominion aspect was then transferred to Judah. At that point, the line for the royalty then went from him to Judah. And then the double portion aspect was then given to Joseph, which is why he has two sons adopted by Jacob. So the rights that Reuben had were divided and given to his other brothers as a result because Reuben lost it. He blew it. He did not cling to his faith. And that's the whole point of Hebrews is clinging to everything God wants you to cling to. Israel is spoken of as God's firstborn in Exodus 4. Jesus is the source of every creature. Colossians 1.15, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. That again, it's not that Jesus was born He wasn't created. He's the firstborn of every creature. In other words, he is the source of every creature. He is is the source of all creation. Okay, 
So there's three verses in the uh, tour de force of angels, and what is it all about? Why, why is God driving this home that Jesus is higher than the angels? And hopefully you get a, a good appreciation of why the Jews held them so highly and why they are still active today in ministering on our behalf. And praise God, we, the good guys outnumber them two to one. But get in the word of God. You know, it is time for the church to take the fight to the enemy. And I know I've hit on this a lot in here at the end, but it really is. It is time for the church to take the fight to the enemy. We have sat on the sideline for way too long and have been comfortable being married to the world. And thus you have all of the horrible things that go on in churches and are taught all over the world. And people are misled and kids grow up and they leave the church before they ever get a chance to sit in it because nobody gives them a reason to stay. It's, it's really sad. So it's time for us to step up. That's the point. And that's why God has a special hand on this congregation. I, I know it. But to build your faith, you've got to put the sword of the spirit in the depth of your heart and learn the weapons of our warfare. Just like Michael, the Lord rebuke you. You've got to master the word of God. And so faith, and it's all about this book, Hebrews, what is it? The evidence of things not seen is faith. It's the, sort, it's the substance of all that's hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's everything you hope for, which is Jesus. And it's important because without faith, it's impossible to please him in Hebrews eleven six. So you need to know how to go get it in Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So that's the only way to build your faith, and you need to do it daily from Acts 17, 11. And again, the Lord is filtering down, just like Gideon's 300. Who's not going to bow the knee? I've heard a prophet talk a lot about the month of February in 2022, and, he, and the word the Lord gave him was, in February, we launch. And I have no idea what that means, and neither does he. <laughs> but it's exciting. I mean, I don't know how many of you can feel that God is on the move in the world in a big way, in a powerful way. There's a move of the Spirit moving through the churches right now, calling people out for a special purpose in these that God calls over and over the last of the last days. And when you look around the world and prophetically you see everything that's going on, that's the beauty of the time we live in, is that it's not just one sign or the other, it's all of them converging at once. It's Israel's back in the land. They're talking about rebuilding a temple. They're, for the first time ever, you, you apparently need something to buy, sell, or trade all over the world. You, you look around you at everything that's being set up, and it is an exciting time to be a follower of Jesus and to watch literally the pages of your Bible just come to life in the headlines. So he's, he's filtering down those people. Now, to be a part of that, you've got to tear down those strongholds in your life. And this is one of my my new favorite slides for all of us. But again, when the children of Israel went into the promised land, there were three areas they did not listen to the Lord and tear it all down. It was the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and the Golan Heights. And those three areas are exactly the three areas that plague Israel today. And so you see that fast forward all these thousands of years later, it's still a problem because they weren't obedient. And if you're not obedient in your life, those strongholds will not just plague you, but they'll attach themselves to your children, your grandchildren, and on they go until somebody steps up 
in 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's the word of God. That's what it's all about and getting serious about it. Look at Numbers 33. But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land, see, God was prophesying this from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your side and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. And that's exactly what they do today. They are thorns in their side constantly with rockets coming in and etc. So challenge yourself this week. What strongholds are in your life that you've got to tear down? Just get it done. And if you're watching this or if you're here and you don't know the Lord, it's simple. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's, it's that simple to start your relationship. Then everything else catapults off of that. So with that, I'll close this in prayer. Appreciate you guys all being here. And if you want an ant on the log, come grab it after church. Lord, we just thank you so much for this time together. God, thank you again for the book of Hebrews. What a powerful book. Lord, I just pray that the richness of this book would just come out and scream at us as we continue on this study, that, Lord, we would learn the weapons of our warfare, that we would tear down those strongholds, that, Lord, we would give it all to you because you conquered it all. And so we thank you for that. And, Lord, we do pray a special mighty hedge of protection around everyone here as they go throughout their week, be with them, be with their families, speak to them in such a new, radical, refreshing, intimate way. Sit with them, God. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.